Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to episode 73 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today, we want to discuss the public health emergency and the status of that. We're also going to talk a little bit about how the impact on uh, or the telehealth and the urology practice moving forward. So we're going to update you on that. And then finally, we're going to wrap up with talking about October being Urology Coding Month and kind of the grand finale and what we got going on. So, uh, so we're going to cover that in today's episode. But first, I'd like to encourage you all, if you haven't already, sign up for our free E&M training. You can go to prsnetwork.com, and uh, on, the, on the top banner, you can click on register for the uh, E&M training. Also, you can go to for episode 73, and you can uh, access the information we talk about today there. So let's get started with uh, the episode. Mark, uh, you want to bring us up to date on the PHE and uh, and what that looks like? Sure. So um, first up, uh, as you probably saw from our announcement and have heard, the public health emergency uh, was renewed as expected for another 90 days. So it'll run through uh, until January. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see it extended again um, uh, once we get to January, but we'll keep an eye on that and watch for announcements um, for that as we approach uh, January when it expires again. Because every time the public health emergencies or any emergency declaration uh, is done by the federal government, they can only do it in 90-day increments. That's the restrictions that they have. But um, I will mention as well that um, Medicare uh, just announced yesterday um, that beginning in uh, January, they are going to revise the place of service 02 uh, to be telehealth provided outside of the home, uh, which in preparation for the uh, expiration of the public health emergency and to help the uh, private sector really deal with telehealth, uh, the zero two is really set up so that if a patient receives telehealth and they're in a facility or they're in a Medicare approved uh, place or a SNF, um, that you would use the the zero two starting January one, which is what we do now. Um, but starting January one, they also added a place of service ten one zero, which is telehealth provided to the patient while they are in their home, um, and that was something that they reacted to. Uh, I think not only with the public health emergency, um, but also so that the private sector would now have the ability to differentiate between those people who are in a facility and those people who are not in a facility uh, because health plans have expanded telehealth. And, and 
ultimately, when you look at not just what the private sector is doing to kind of pick up and run with the ball with telehealth and the demand that patients have for telehealth because of their experience during COVID, um, but you look at the you know the the impending shortage of physicians, the access to healthcare, and the push towards value-based medicine, uh, I I think you're going to see a significant leveraging of telehealth uh, in the future to be able to continue to provide touch points for patients and and watch their ongoing care uh, without having to bring them into the office setting. Um, so uh, it 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 really is teeing up and acknowledging the fact that that telehealth is a part of healthcare and is a utility. Now, one of the things I think that I've heard as I've walked around the country and or traveled around the country, uh, walking would take way too long, but <laughs> as, I, as I travel around the country and talk to folks, um, that's been interesting is the varied experience and the varied uh, opinions about telehealth and how it fits within urology. And um, it, it, you know, the, from the, from the folks out there that are basically, I'm not using telehealth unless I have to, to those groups that are out there that are still leveraging telehealth under the public health emergency to do up to 20% of their patients. And, um, while, while there is a, still a widespread use for a number of different areas, I think, what, what I'm seeing is kind of a settling in of where telehealth fits in urology and people really uh, leveraging it right, right where it should be. Now, um, I don't think that we are at the point at the moment where most people think that a, a purely diagnostic visit um, makes sense for all patients. Now, obviously, those patients that are at risk and unwilling to come to the office, you know, because they're terrified of COVID or they're agoraphobic or whatever reason, you know, sometimes telehealth is the only way to reach them. And so that that makes sense for those, for those particular encounters. But what I'm seeing, uh, and then I think the other place that we're seeing this are those easy visits like vasectomy, pre-visits, um, uh, as kind of that initial encounter type uh, uh, that fits within a, a telehealth world. But I, but I think that ma the majority of telehealth that I'm seeing that makes more sense longer term is with your established patients uh, doing those follow-up care visits uh, that ultimately uh, make it easy um, to stay on top of folks for their drugs, to, to stay on top of folks for their small episodes, those types of things that you don't necessarily need those additional tests or you don't need that hands-on experience for. And there are a ton of those uh, in urology uh, for, for your patients and the follow-up care that's there. Uh, now, uh, as we see uh, remote diagnostics expand, uh, that may change, um, and I think it will uh, over time as we start to be able to to actually get data from remote patients uh, more easily. 
uh, this, you know, that that's a, another shift that's coming down the road. And there's a ton of new products in the pipeline that are are exciting uh, tools that physicians could potentially use to gather data from patients um, and then and then and, and have it sent to them so they can actually do more of a diagnostic visit remotely without without having to do the hands-on because they've got that data. So there's there's still some evolution going on and there's going to continue to be a, a evolution here. But it is a tool in the tool chest uh, and uh, those folks that have figured out where to leverage it and how to uh, uh, interact with their patients uh, on uh, a, a better basis and and those that are really trying to figure out the whole, the the true value-based medicine and the outcomes and those types of things are leveraging telehealth uh, and 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 that is a growing part of this overall process so as long as the public health emergency stays in place the reimbursements there to play with it um, but we do need congress to act to actually make this permanent long term uh, Otherwise, I think we're going to see a dip um, because the reimbursement is a difficult one. Uh, but I, I do think that that there are going to be folks that figure out how to either charge cash or uh, figure uh, a way to provide those services to the Medicare patients uh, until uh, Congress acts. And, and I do think they will eventually do that to open up telehealth longer term and and make it if not ultimately uh, reimbursement-wise viable or financially viable, um, but in combination with value-based healthcare, I, I do see it as being a, a not only a needed tool, but a necessary part of care moving forward. I got a couple of questions for you based on what you, what you just uh, talked about. First, you had mentioned in, when you first started talking that You've met people out there that are really hesitant to do telehealth. What What's their reasoning? Is it the reimbursement side or is it more of the patient care side? Oh, I think it's a combination of the two. Um, the, you know the the uncertainty of reimbursement is a is a factor in telehealth, not trying to leverage it out. but the uh, but the other part is the patient care that, you know, Physicians are uh, very used to the hands-on and the need to see the patients to to read between the lines, if you will. You know, you you get a patient history, but there is a certain amount of of viewing viewing that individual and watching how they react and watch it, how you, you you talk to them and and the physical examination that is a a part of health and. Um, so for those reasons, and and for the just the the experience that most people have with healthcare day to day, it it's it's what they're comfortable with, um, and ultimately they feel they can do a much better job. Um, you you know with that inpatient encounter, um, and and and. For a lot of those visits, you know, I, I agree. I mean, I from what I see and talk to physicians out there, there are definitely a number of encounters that really should be done in person, that you've got to have that direct patient contact. Um, 
And those really should not shift to telehealth in, 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 unless it's an emergency. But what, what I think I'm finding is that those folks that figure out those particular patients and those particular encounters that fit into telehealth um, and are willing to kind of use the combination of telehealth and in-person care, those are the ones that are comfortable moving forward. And then there are, of course, those that, that are using telehealth because they have to, because patients are just, they can't get. So there's there's a number of different uh, things influencing telehealth and telehealth use. Um, and it's it, it's obvious and, and, and part of just the, the culture of what everybody's part of dealing with. Well, Mark, you brought up a lot of issues in your conversation. I think another one that we have to consider is physicians, you know, it's, it's habitual. You're used to what you're used to, and some docs just don't like to change. You know, if you're looking in the real world right now, and if you're particular, if you're on both sides of the fence, at times you're a patient and at times you're a physician, you see that history and physical doesn't play near the role that it used to. And being old school, I think near the role that it should play. And as Mark mentioned, seeing the patient does help with that. So from that standpoint, you know, that's a vote against telehealth. But on the other side of the fence, that's not always necessary. And, and as a patient, I can tell you there's a lot of visits that I'd much rather have on telehealth and instead of wasting my time going in to do exactly what could have been accomplished on the phone and on the video. So, but one thing you stopped short of, Mark, the, the feds have now set up a new place of service for office, which shows you that telehealth can be done in the office. And, and, but you stop short of saying they're going to cover it. Yeah, well, the, I mean, right now their commentary was under the public health emergency, we have rules that allow for uh, place of service uh, home for telehealth. Um, and we do, and, and of course, we always have the coverage that if, a, or we've always had the coverage that if a patient is in a Medicare-approved facility um, and in a um, rural area, that that is covered even outside of the pandemic or the public health emergency. So, um, and and that's so. What they said right now is we don't really need to address the utilization of place of service ten and two because of the public health emergency. Um, but I will. You know, they will probably uh, very soon address that. Put, they'll they'll weave it into the to the final rule because this doesn't go, become effective until uh, January one, and the Medicare carriers are uh, uh, required to actually be able to process the new place of service by April. Um, so it gives them time to integrate those into their systems. But you know, Medicare can't make rules that it can't provide and one of the things that they're stuck with is that they can't allow telehealth in the home setting 
unless it's a public health emergency under the current guidelines or the current law that that Medicare is functioning under. So it's going to literally take an act of Congress to cover place of service 10, even though it's in the, the rule book. Yeah, once the public health emergency is over, yes. Okay. All right. All right, well, there's a telehealth update. Any any final words on that, or we're going to move on to the next topic? Nope, I think we're good. Okay. All right, so as we've been saying all month, October is Urology Coding Month. So we're, we've got a lot of things going on, and uh, first we want to let you know that uh, the Urology Advanced Coding and Reimbursement Seminar is coming up in Las Vegas. You can still sign up for it. We've got a, a good group signed up and are going to attend live in person. We've got the safety. We're following all the CDC recommended safety protocols. So, uh, Mark and Rand Ray, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what uh, what we're covering in the advanced coding and reimbursement seminar this year and and uh, kind of what we got going on? Sure. So um, we are going to do a, uh, as you know, as as we do a deep dive um, into globals and modifiers and urology specific coding issues that are out there. Um, we're going to dive into some of the 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 the, the larger practice issues um, that surround providing healthcare, um, and that those would be. You know, pre-visit services, post-visit services, um, AR. We're also going to talk a little bit about some of the market pressures that are out there um, relative to consolidation uh, in the marketplace, like private equity and hospital employment. Um, we're also going to cover ICD-10. Uh, we'll cover in detail evaluation and management coding. We've got a section on new technology and some of the new stuff that's out there and how to code for that um, and how to adopt it in your practice. We're going to have a special session on the Ambulatory Surgical Center um, and urology, and we've got uh, a section on telehealth like we called today. And, uh, of course, we'll have the update on the Medicare final rule, um, which comes out the 1st of November, so we'll have a chance to digest that and show you where the impact is, uh, whether or not Medicare is going to drop the reimbursement for in-office minimally invasive therapies like they proposed. Um, all of those things that we get covered um, will get covered. So it'll be a, a great session overall of what we're presenting. Um, but one of the things we're really excited about it's, as far as getting back and one of the reasons we've kind of pushed for the in real life version of this is the interaction among those that show um you know that we I, I think we we've we've gotten to the point now with zoom and the virtual that we can do quite a bit um with providing our interaction with individuals um but it's that interaction amongst everybody that's there that we still haven't kind of gotten over the hurdle um within the virtual environment so um I know a lot of folks have um, travel bans and, and stuff that's not going to allow them to get there. And we're sorry about that. But we did, you know, feel like that networking uh, piece was 
uh, invaluable to a number of to to so many that attend that seminar. So, so we're excited about what we're gonna what we got what we got on the docket to cover, and we're also excited to get back into watching the interaction and and networking and 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 the interaction live that 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 whole thing um, really uh, helps drive. And uh, yeah, and that is beginning of December, December. Th- uh, what are we? December third and fourth. Yeah, yeah, December third and fourth in Las Vegas. We also have uh, a right. seminar coming up in January, the end of January in New Orleans as well. And uh, and again, you can access all the information on uh, on our website, prsnetwork.com forward slash zero seven three zero seven three. That's for the seventy third episode. Well, so, Scott, um, I might add that. Even though I'm older and more susceptible, and and I will have to admit I've been hiding pretty well from the virus for the last year and a half, I feel comfortable in going to our seminar because uh, of immunizations that uh, are taking over the majority of the people that will be attending and the safety we're going to have. So I'm going to be there and it's going to be fun uh for my part to do a little philosophical look back at where we've been where we are and project into the future a little bit more about where we're truly going in the future because we're still in a very much a transition phase of where our practice is going to be so it's going to be kind of fun too it will. It always is. We always get uh, really, really great feedback from our attendees. And come come join us, make some new friends, connect with the old friends, and uh, learn learn some great information along the way. So so we just wanted to mention that. And then also, at the as the the finale of our urology coding month, um, the last week of October in twenty twenty one, we are having, our evaluation and management training. It's a four free training sessions uh, beginning on October 25th and running through the 29th. So uh, Mark's going to be taking us through four uh, 30-minute sessions. So it should be really informative. It's what uh, a lot of you have been asking us and a lot of questions we've got throughout the year. We've kind of brought it all together and uh, Mark's uh, got a good program for you planned. So we hope you join us for that. Um, these are going to be recorded, and you can watch them until November 5th. And uh, you can sign up again. There's a link, uh, prsnetwork.com, forward slash 073. Um, Mark, do you want to mention anything about that? No, I, 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 a little bit, yeah. It's going to be uh, a great session um we've we've cut it up into to four shorter pieces um we're gonna focus on um really why and why the why and and some of the the systems that we put in place and what we've learned so far about what people are looking for um and run through an example so um we we decided to cut it up into four sessions instead of one big one um to hopefully uh be able to to deliver the information in a way that uh, that you can digest and and use in your practice day to day. Excellent. Yeah, and we also uh, have uh, 
something interesting coming up at the beginning of November as well uh, regarding AM, and we'll fill you in further uh, throughout the week during our free sessions. So we've got something really exciting that's been a long time in the works. So uh, we're excited to share that with you coming up uh, next week or this week if you're listening during the week of the 25th. And finally, uh, I think we wanted to sh- Ray wanted to share a little bit more about his resident uh, quest, I guess, <laughs> residence training quest. Yes, I need your help. Any of you that are familiar with uh, residency programs or involved with them, uh, we've set up a nonprofit educational foundation called the PRS Educational Foundation that is providing resource material for all residents, all years of their residency, dealing with coding, documentation, and uh, reporting rules. And we work with the uh, program to provide it in any way the, the chief wants to, or each resident can sign up individually. So help us get the word out. We've got a number that have signed up, and we'd like to have everybody. As you can see from what Scott and Mark have talked about, we haven't given up on training the practicing physician uh, on the appropriate role they play. But we have decided if we're really going to accomplish the the level of success that we need in urology to have accurate reporting and decrease the uh, total rejections and the inaccurate reporting, we need to train the physician while they're still eager to learn before they develop old habits that are hard to break. All right. And that is uh, provided free of charge to the residents from the PRS Education Foundation. So uh, if you want to find out more about that, you can go to prseducationfoundation.org or again, join, uh, go to prsnetwork.com forward slash 073 and we'll put a link to that in the episode as well. So uh, we've got a we've got a number of residents already signed up and we're super excited for this uh, this group going through. But uh, the more the more we can get in there, the better off we all are. So we as a urology community. All right. Well, that's what I wanted to to bring you up to speed on on Urology Coding Month. Um, anything else to add to today, Ray? No, I think you've covered it. Mark, anything? I think I've spouted enough for today. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope to uh, see you all in uh, in the E&M training next week. We hope you all join us. Ray, take us out. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery.